It takes more than great code to be a great engineer. This is episode 64 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I am your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. And this is the podcast where we answer your non-technical questions about technical fields like software development. Sorry, I was just doing some, I was just doing some mental math because uh, this is the sixth power of two episode. It sure is. What do we, do we just take the episode off then? Is this the end? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. And that was our show that was to celebrate the, the sixth power of two. <laughs> it's going to be a lot more episodes till we get to the next power of two. In fact, it's going to be the exact same number we've done so far. <laughs> <laughs> You're approaching hard skills. Yep. I'm flirting with danger. Yeah. Uh, you should flirt with soft skills and, okay. and the stuff you're going to say. I think flirting is a soft skill, actually. Not one that I recommend using in an engineering context. Yeah, I've been married for like 10 years, so I don't I don't know what that means anymore. Okay. Flirting is doing the dishes when you're married. That's... <laughs> yeah. Some okay. real talk. All right. So uh, I had a little bit I wanted to share with someone. This last week, I had a chance to pay someone a compliment at work and I realized that I haven't gone out of my way to do this in a while and I just wanted to offer a little reminder to our listeners that if you see someone do something good take a moment pull them aside and tell them that you were impressed and that you thought what they did was good and the effect of this in my experience has been increased trust better working relationship and everyone just feels good so there you go little soft skill tip of the day thank you what an Excellent tip, Dave. Oh, thanks. That makes me feel you, good to hear you say You that. always have the best excellent <laughs> tips. Um, we also have a, a comment from a listener. So this is from Klaus, and he says, you answered my question about how to approach a salary raise talk. Just as a follow-up, it worked more or less as expected with a double-digit raise without much ceremony. Woo-hoo! I appreciate you taking the time to give some valuable tips. Yeah, good job. Um, I'm going to say that's more down to you than to us, but we will happily take 10%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, just a small commission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As an extra, I would recommend the book Fearless Salary Negotiation for the Situation. Um, it's not the most thorough and not well-written, yet it covers more or less everything I needed. <laughs> Ringing <A> strong, endorsement. <laughs> lukewarm endorsement. I haven't heard of that book. I will check it out. I haven't, I haven't read any books about negotiation. It's not actually. thorough and not well-written, but don't worry, it's good. <laughs> You drive a hard bargain, but I accept. I will buy this book. Uh, thank you for the feedback, Klaus. I'm glad that it worked out well for you. Yeah, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think, uh, I think I'll read our first question. Yeah. This comes from an anonymous listener, uh, and it is direct and to the point. It says, how direct should I be in a peer review of a coworker that I hate to work with? Can I just say, please fire this guy? He's a jerk. Thanks. <laughs> If you do that, I would love to hear what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. What if we pivoted the show instead of trying to give good advice? What if we tried to give the most interesting advice <laughs> and most interesting for us personally? Right, like most entertaining. How do you know I haven't already done this? <laughs> <laughs> My... My advice that you thought was good has actually been fake the whole time. I'm just, I just really suck at giving bad advice. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> uh, so I assume this is a 360 review, a, which is a review where peers give feedback on a peer 
not mm-hmm. directly to the peer. They usually give it to a manager and then the manager collects it and then shares the hopefully anonymized feedback with the peer. And then fires the peer. And then fires them if enough people <laughs> vote them off the island. Um, uh, yeah, survivor style. Have you ever done this, Jameson? I have not been part of anonymous 360 reviews. At my last full-time job, we did... Um, they were like deep heart-to-heart sessions that I do not think would work well with every team. But but it was very like honest and open in person. Every quarter, we'd sit down... We would go around the whole room and everyone would give feedback uh, on, on the person whose turn it was. And it had you had to have constructive and, and positive feedback. Um, and at first it was like, I think sometimes y- you, you tie your shoes a little too slow. It was like fake made up <laughs> constructive feedback because everyone was scared of offending people. Mm-hmm. But after a while it got what would appear from the outside to be uh, intensely honest, but it was it was great just because of the trust the team had in each other. But it wasn't filtered through another person. It was just direct face-to-face. Okay. Face-to-face, that's really hard to do. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know that I will see that work again in my lifetime, but it was, it was interesting to be a part of. I think you're a jerk and you should well, be fired. I, it, the, the people that did it all had to have a lot of emotional intelligence to avoid being uh mean but still being usefully honest right right and it it worked out well for the most part but that's a long answer that could have been so let me ask you this (laughs) (laughs) no i have not done this the classic 360 review have you ever suggested to management that someone should be fired because they're a jerk oh man i've gossiped a lot (laughs) (laughs) isn't that what a 360 review is like yeah it's codified gossip about you to your boss (laughs) um not solely because they were a jerk but i have talked to i've talked about this on the show too i've talked to management about a a um, fellow engineer who i thought was not working out partially because of personality and Mm -hmm. and personal interaction issues I, I didn't like hate them or, and I also didn't even work with them. I just saw that the, the team was worse off after they joined because of the yeah. way they interacted with the team, but it wasn't as directly. It sounds like this person might be like, you're like sitting across from them in the open office and they have a spittoon that's like accidentally <laughs> your keyboard or something. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like there's some, there's some close yeah. negative interactions there. Yeah, I, I think so too. I How about you, Dave? I have recommended to management that, to fire people before uh, only three times in 15 years, but never because they're a jerk. I have a really high jerk tolerance and I, I don't know what it is, but I don't Episode have a problem. 64. That's, that's proof. <laughs> You've made it this far with me. <laughs> 64 episodes of Jameson proves a very high jerk tolerance, but I do like, I don't know what it is about me, but like when someone's a jerk, uh, by the way, every jerk I every jerk engineer that I've known is also very capable and competent. Mm. And I seem to like be willing to look the other way on personality problems when they produce high quality engineering output. I don't know what it is about me, but I do I I know not everyone is like that, thank goodness, because um it's not like we need more jerks. <laughs> but but, uh, but yeah, I've never gone to management and said on the grounds of this person's personality, I think they should be let go. Well, Time to start. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> turn over a new leaf. Yeah, there's there's not a lot of detail in here, 
So I just have a lot of questions that will go unanswered because this is not a phone call. But I'm、mm-hmm. wondering, what does the person collecting the feedback know already? Do they know that you don't like this person?、Mm-hmm. And then、uh, that could go one of two ways. It could be like, and it's because they're a jerk, or it's because these two people just don't get along. Yeah, and they do good work, but they just butt heads a lot.、Um, are, Which, are by the perf- way, that absolutely happens. Oh I mean, yeah, just just because you don't get along with someone doesn't mean they don't get along with other people quite well. It, yeah, it feels awful when that happens. By the way, <laughs> when you're part of the、uh, recipe for a personality conflict, and 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 you realize, well, they get along with everyone else. What's my problem? Yeah, yeah. Are there performance problems, or is it really just interpersonal conflict?、Mm-hmm. Those are those are important questions. And also, how much will this info that you deliver in the three sixty review be filtered? Right. Is、will、the person who's collecting it? it going to say? And John Smith said, "I hate you, and you should be fired." Or are they going to like pull the useful feedback out of that? Because the the goal of a three sixty review, I believe, is to give feedback to the person being reviewed, not to get them fired. So if your <laughs> feedback is, "I hate you, and you should be fired,"、um, I don't know that there's a way that as a manager I could take that and say like. Here's a thing you could do differently because、yeah. <laughs> John Smith hates you and thinks you should be fired. Here's a suggestion: you should quit. Yeah, <laughs> then things will be better. It's too late. Yeah, that's a good point. A 360 feedback session is supposed to be constructive. I mean, the, the person, the reason the company is investing in feedback is because they want to improve the person working. And so it's like, if your only feedback is they're a jerk,、uh, that's where I think I would go with. More specific examples of measurable, if possible, damage that the person does to the team. This is really hard stuff to measure, but、um, you could at least give a qualitative assessment of the outcomes of their actions and specifically identify the actions. Like when Bob threw me through that plate glass window, <laughs> I was unable to type for two days, <laughs> and that hurt my ability to get Jira tickets done. Yeah, I mean, if people leave the team, if people、uh, have more conflict, if if the team works less well together, that's、mm-hmm. all. That's all stuff that is important. Yeah, beyond just I don't like them. Yeah, exactly. So I would I would go with very specific examples. Like if you can say this person's aggressive personality stymied a design conversation for three days when we could have been done in three hours. You know that's that's lost output and that costs money and that's something that I think as a manager I could work with. You know I could actually sit down with that person and coach them. But、uh, if you just say they're mean, that there's not much to go on there. Yeah. As as part of some reviews, I remember there's an engineer who I I really 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 like and, and liked at the time we were working together, but some of the feedback was. Uh, sometimes they could be a little negative and cynical, and then we could see that affect other team members.、Uh, not not directly. It's just like you just see it, and then you're a little more cynical and negative too.、Um, and that's a different situation because it's not like we hated them and wanted them fired, but but it was a a concrete、mm-hmm. thing to change instead of just the team hates this person. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So if there's、good. some if there's some effect you can pull out of them being a jerk that and you can change the effect, then that might be feedback you can give, and then you need to decide if you should suck it up or quit, because、uh, because the I don't get along with them thing is kind of more your problem than 
yeah, the company's yeah. problem. And and maybe in that case, you should ask for some guidance or coaching. Yeah. But, but don't ask for them to be fired. That sounds like uh, you're looking for an easy out. Yep. Everyone I don't like gets fired. Yeah. <laughs> That's called the CEO. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but even then, I mean, CEOs don't just fire people they don't like. Good ones don't, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I would say is try to avoid recommending firing the person. Uh, instead, provide evidence that the person is doing significant damage to the team and then let the manager come to the conclusion of firing on their own. And I suggest this for two reasons. Reason one is that when you suggest that a manager fire someone, immediately the manager's response is sometimes going to be, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. That's hard. Like the knee-jerk reaction will be no, because that's that's a ton of work. It's really hard to do. And the person recommending the firing and the person doing the firing have like, there's just a huge difference between what has to be done. Yeah, yeah. It's like you like drop a note off on someone's desk that's like, hey, construct this house for me by hand. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> you wrote the note and then they build the house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One of these two people had an easy job. <laughs> So the second reason is if you give evidence and let your manager come to the conclusion on their own, it will actually be a more strongly held opinion that the manager comes to. Whereas if you try to force this idea of the action the manager should take into their head, but without providing concrete substance and reasons, I think that the manager will be more likely to let it go. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. Uh, any Anything else to say about this? Yeah, I would say that when you're sitting down providing feedback like this rather than coming right out and saying you know so and so did this bad thing i would actually frame it in the form of a question and i would say how harmful do you think it is if someone does x action and it's like the action that you've seen this person do and try to get a read from your manager because you know just because something is terribly frustrating to you doesn't necessarily mean it's harmful to the team and it would be interesting to learn what your manager's view is of it before you jump to the conclusion of they should be fired. And you might find that your manager is like, oh, wow, that absolutely cannot stand. You know, or you might learn that your manager thinks that's no big deal. You know, like, no, I don't care if they deal drugs out of their desk, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that when you mentioned evidence. Like, <laughs> yeah. Real evidence? Yeah. <laughs> Unmarked bills. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched a lot terrorists. of CSI. What we need yeah. to do is set up a camera facing the shiny surface behind them and then zoom in and enhance and check out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the mean stuff they're writing on Twitter about the boss. <laughs> enhance. Yeah. And then the last thing I would recommend is to take a, what I call the three-month challenge. This is a cool-down period where you you set it aside, try not to think about it, try not to take any action on it for three months, and then look back and say, do I still feel as strongly as I did at the beginning? And if, if three months has the effect of cooling you off, then you probably can just let it go. But if three months and you still feel just as upset about it, then it's probably something significant that you need to take action on. I found that when time passes, sometimes it, I don't know what it does, but it like, it like dampens the effect in some cases that turn out to be not that important. Sure. That all makes sense. 
I guess that was a long-winded way of saying that if I complained to my boss about everything that bothers me, I would do nothing but complain to my boss. (laughs) (laughs) But if I put everything on a three-month timer, then I will rarely complain to my boss. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'll just be really angry inside, bottle everything up, and I'll blow (laughs) up. Problem solved. (laughs) 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 All right. We have answered the question. I, I really want to know what you end up doing. Yes, me <laughs> too. It goes. Very, very, very interested. So yes, please write in and let us know. Yep. All right. I'm going to read our next question. Until now, it's only been ops on call and app developers get to write whatever software they want that passes QA and gets into prod. We are moving away from this model and in the next quarter or so need to convince 100 plus engineers that they are now on call. For reasons I can't quite articulate, I care deeply about this and am fighting to get it done right. Which brings me to my question. How do you convince 100 plus engineers to take the pager? (laughs) Oh, this will be very interesting. Yeah. Um, Have you tried asking them to do more work for the same amount of money? (laughs) Hey, I would like you to work nights and weekends. Please. <laughs> <laughs> and as a res- as a bonus for that, I will continue paying you. Yeah. <laughs> into the future. Here's a list of bad things that won't happen to you <laughs> if you do this. <laughs> um, for reasons I can't quite articulate, I care deeply about this. I don't know what that means either. I think I it means that you, we have... Because you a, can't articulate them. Yeah. <laughs> like, care, care deeply about convincing developers no, that I it's think, the right thing to do instead of just mandating it? No, or? I think I think what I took from that is that this listener cares deeply about having a good dev and ops culture. Some people would call it a DevOps culture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is becoming quite popular, actually. The, the old days of developers sitting alone and throwing software over the fence and then leaving it up to some like second class team to operate that software it those days are coming to an end very quickly um so now now that devopsalers they mm-hmm. take the software the developers build and then they work with the opsers yeah. <laughs> to deploy it to production yeah <laughs> it's progress the devops people <laughs> by the they way talk to the developers <laughs> yeah. and to the ops <laughs> if you have someone at your company with the title devops like DevOps engineer, you probably don't have DevOps. <laughs> I thought that's concrete proof you do because you have someone <laughs> whose job it is to do DevOps. We, we have people with a job title. Anyways. Yeah. Huh. Huh. So how do you convince 100 plus developers that they are going to be on call? Well, first of all, have you been on call? Are you asking me? Yeah. Yes, I have not. Okay, so I... I think I started my first on-call rotation maybe three years ago, four years ago. And it's never ended. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a long rotation, Dave. <laughs> You're supposed and to go off-call. <laughs> I have, yeah. Actually, that's funny you would mention that because I was talking to one of our ops engineers about, I don't know, four or five years ago. And I said, how's it going? They had been at the company for about a year. And they said, honestly, I'm thinking about changing jobs. And I was like, what? Why? And they said, well, I've been on-call for like nine months straight. <laughs> and I was like, you have? We're like, yeah. So I immediately went over to our CTO and I said, did you know that our ops 
engineer. Actually, we, I think at the time we called him a DevOps engineer, which, um, <laughs> which clearly demonstrated that we did not understand DevOps. Anyway, I told my CTO, did you know he's been on call 24-7 for nine months? My CTO was like, holy crap, <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> so it was at that moment where we established a developer uh, on-call rotation that consisted of about, I don't know, four or five developers and four or five uh, infra- what we called infrastructure engineers. And uh, they would both be on call. And and I joined the rotation at that time. And so I was on call for two weeks out of eight or 10 weeks uh, ever since then. And, and even now at my new job, I, I do about the same rotation. Hmm. I've never been part of a formal on-call rotation. I think I've worked at startups small enough where it's just whoever cares the most is on call. And <laughs> most of the time that's been me. There have been times where it hasn't been me. But so so I've I've like kind of been on call for years at a time because mm-hmm. I was just like the person who would answer the phone at 2 a.m. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but it it started off like that. I've never not been on call and then had someone say, hey, Jameson, now you have to wake up in the middle of the night when stuff goes down where before mm-hmm. you didn't. Before you chose to and now we choose for you to. Yeah, <laughs> it, it just feels like a different problem to to take people who aren't doing this and convince them to do it. Yeah. So problem number one is convincing them that it's a good idea, because if you can't convince them it's a good idea, then no amount of process or other training or anything will fix that. Yeah. As soon as you say that, I, my brain says a good idea for who? (laughs) (laughs) If I'm a developer, it sounds like a terrible idea. (laughs) Yeah. I would say that an ideal on-call rotation the customer benefits and not just because you have more people keeping their software running, but because having developers who write the software understand the full end to end life cycle and deployment and operational burden of their software will ultimately yield a better product for the customer. It'll be more available, more scalable. And in theory, that's the theory, right? And I I was just thinking to myself, if I had to convince someone of this, surely I could cite some research that shows that the dev teams who on call who run on call rotations for their software have fewer bugs and fewer outages but i wonder if that's if that exists i'm sure if it does it's not it's not uh it's junk science <laughs> well i'm sure there are blog posts where someone asserts yeah. that and then maybe there's a couple studies that are off sample size of like 5 people or something i don't know from the 80s yeah so that's <laughs> that's like the state of the art in software engineering research for most stuff it feels like yeah so you'll probably have a hard time finding like solid research to support this, but. But somebody wants it to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I, I know, haven't you, I mean, you, you've you run, you've basically been on call for a long yeah. time. Do you find that it influences your day-to-day development decisions? Oh yeah, I sure spend a lot more time on monitoring and logging and things that affect my ability to diagnose and fix problems. Mm-hmm because it sucks so bad <laughs> to get woken up in the middle of the night. That's that's like the technical argument for it, right? It makes your software better because you feel the pain of your software not being Exactly, good. exactly. It's not an externality. That's what economists would call it. Yeah. Like if you're not on call, you write bugs and someone else feels the pain. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of sick and twisted when you think about it, right? It, it is. I mean you're kind of arguing that developers need to be even more of generalists. Like they're already full Mm -hmm. stack developers and now they need, the stack needs to extend further down into infrastructure, which that feels a little weird to me. I don't know. Like uh, do front end developers go on call? Right. Good, good question. 
I guess that's not the question they're asking though. I'm, which is like, should people go on call? <laughs> should any developers go on call? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right though. It's 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 about the quality of your software, and that's a thing that can motivate developers that they want to be craftsmen, like they want to build high quality things that are robust and work well. And mm -hmm. it's a point of pride to build software that's solid and reliable. And if, if that's the kind of thing that can motivate your team, then I think this can be enormously motivating that you get to see how it actually performs in the real world and you get to find the worst parts of it and make it better. Yeah, exactly. And if your developers, like you were talking about specialization or the opposite of specialization where de developers are being asked to learn more and more stuff mm -hmm. to be able to be developers, I think if you have to go to such lengths to deploy your software, it might be a symptom of having immature operational tools. Well, it's not deploying, it's fixing it when it's broken, right? Deploys aren't part of on-call. Yeah, my it's bad, like... my bad. Yeah, you're right. I was thinking more like, uh, I used the word deploy, but I should have used the word operate, basically yeah. operations. And if you're unable to operate your system, diagnose problems and fix them, it could be that your tools are immature, right? Your operational stuff is immature. I think the problems that you encounter in production will always be hard. Because as soon as you make the tools better, you'll fix all the problems that are fixed right. by those tools. And then the problems <laughs> that show up now are not fixed by those tools. I, That's I don't such think a you can just say, like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't think you can just say, we'll use this SaaS provider. And now now it's easy for us to operate our software. Right. Like, you, you replace all these easy problems with even harder problems. Yeah. I I don't know. Now when I, things I, go I mean, wrong, it's really You hard. should invest in tooling and, and it's not. The, the end result of that philosophy is nihilism where you say like we just carry floppy disks to someone's house and don't <laughs> deploy anything like invest in tooling yeah but the goal of making it easy to fix every operational outage feels un feels impossible to me yes because it'll just uh, get weirder right. you're right and then that's where i'm like I don't know anything about like how the the linux kernel handles tcp headers and i read all these blog posts about how that's the problem that caused an outage in someone's yeah. software. Like, I could, I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to like tweak some some bootloader or something. And you call yourself a real developer? Come on. <laughs> Come on. Not anymore. I've been okay. Let's outed. back. Let, yeah. <laughs> what a what an imposter. Okay, so let's let's back up a little bit. So Good I call. think that if you want the developers to get on board with this idea, they need to be part of or at least feel like they are part of the decision-making process for going on call. Hmm. Um, I would probably first try to gauge the level of opposition, if any. With this many developers, we're talking 100 plus, I'd probably send out a survey and say, or maybe even just go in person and sample a few people and ask them point blank, would you, how do you feel about being on call 24 seven for one week at a time, two weeks at a time, whatever, and just get, get some data points on it. Maybe you have less of an uphill battle than you think. And then if that's not... I would not, be surprised. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And then maybe send out a survey and just see how violently negative they are about it. And then, uh, so then, of course, you just have to make the decision at some point. And this has to come from leadership, I think, to say, we're going to do this. And leadership yeah. better darn well spell out why and why it's a good idea and who ultimately will benefit and what's motivating it. And then I would recommend letting developers have a lot of say in the schedule, in the process for handing off on call. Let them own making that possible. Don't just take your existing process and assume that they can just fit right into it. 
um, let them have a seat at the table in designing the new on-call process. That makes sense. I like that idea of giving them some ownership over over this thing to make it feel less imposed. It, it kind of fits. It, it feels like it feels like it comes from a place of trust more, right? Where you're saying mm-hmm. this is the problem we're trying to solve. Yeah, help yeah. us solve it instead of yes. saying from Monday to Tuesday this person will be on call. And right. That's that's more like marching orders. Yes. I. I I think there's going to, I don't know, maybe this is just me projecting, but I feel like there's going to be some pushback on this. And I think you should prepare for it and be prepared to discuss it with people that feel particularly strongly and then also be prepared to have to deal with the fact that you're going to make them do it anyways, <laughs> no like, matter how they feel about it. <laughs> you should probably invest in some good body armor. And <laughs> No, not that, but just like there, there will be... It'll make your software better. People might be grumpy. I mean, somebody might quit over this if they hate it the most. Yeah, that's possible. Uh, you, you need to be be ready to deal with that. I think one thing that I imagine will pop up right away is, well, ops used to do this. What are they mm-hmm. going to do now? We're taking on all this work that used to be their job. Like, are they just going to chill and relax? and mm-hmm. Ping pong. <laughs> They're going to do what the developers used to do. Yeah. Play ping pong in their free time. <laughs> just go home and see their families. Uh, and, and I think that question has a lot of good answers. Like they can now invest in infrastructure. They can build tools that support the engineering team instead of just fight fires. Um, they will be on call also. The the load is now shared equally across the team where they were suffering disproportionately before. Lots of good answers to that question. I think it is a question that will be asked though. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, let's see. Oh, training. So... Uh... At my last job, we did two kinds of training that worked out really well for developers to come into the on-call rotation. Uh, The first one was we had like a sit-down lecture style, workshop style uh, material where someone who had experience on-call would sit down and walk them through common scenarios, things they needed to be aware of. And that was pretty effective. But what was even more effective was we did a weekly failure exercise on our dev environment where there were two people assigned. One person was called the destroyer of worlds and the other <laughs> <laughs> and the other person was called uh I can't remember, the fixer maybe. And the destroyer of worlds would do some nefarious thing to the system like tweak some network config that would break something or like take out a host or just do something to break the system badly. Or maybe even write a bug that would like generate a a fork bomb or like, you know, overwhelm our servers or something. And then the other person, the fixer, had to sit there and monitor our systems and try to figure out what they did and then fix it. And they did it uh, in a, inside of a Google Hangout when a bunch of people were watching so they could see their screen and watch what they were doing. And it was really cool. Huh. It, w- it was both stressful, um, but also very informative. They, the, the fixer was screen sharing with the whole company while they were fixing no. stuff? No, just, just the other people who were members of that on-call rotation. Oh, okay. Interesting. It wasn't like a sporting event. <laughs> I mean, it kind of sounds like a sporting event. Well, in I mean, way. in terms of attendees. But yeah, it was like that. It was really fun. And the, the Destroyer of Worlds always took it as a challenge to find some weird way that they had seen something break and then, you know, try to make it break again. And it was really fun. Huh. That's very interesting. I've, I mean, I've heard of the Chaos Monkey thing at Netflix, which is where they break stuff and fix it. But I've never yeah. heard of that that specific tactic of like, and look how the person who's fixing it will fix it. That's cool. Yeah. Well, it's, Do it's you feel cool. like it helped? 
Oh, it absolutely did. Every single week, someone would say, I learned about a new tool that I didn't know, or I learned about a new setting, or I, I learned about something that uh, could go wrong that I'd never seen before, you know? Every week, someone learned something. Yeah. I'm not saying it was the most stress-free way to learn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, the, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. No, you. Okay, I'll go ahead. Uh, did you want to talk about the training thing? or Because I, I have another subject. Uh, briefly, yeah. This is an area where um, operations people have a ton of experience around oh, yeah. best practices for being on call. And so if you don't know where to start, there's great books and conference talks and uh google has a site reliability engineering book i think there's oh, cool. a book called effective devops oh, um wow. there's there, there's a lot of resources out there from people who have been on call for decades and have figured out ways to make that less painful beyond cool. just like sharing the pain with developers i mean you can like part of it is you you need to have uh documentation of common problems and common solutions to problems so like if you see this thing, here's the steps you take to make sure that's the problem and fix it. And there's a bunch mm -hmm. of stuff like that. So you are not alone dropped in the middle of uh, this scary world full of problems you don't understand. Yep, totally agree. And I'll, on that same note, I will say that uh, you should definitely look into uh, having a shadow process where people can shadow an actual on-call rotation person while they're on call uh, so that... Um, they can do that before getting thrown into the fire. And you can think of it as like a crawl, walk, run kind of metaphor where you should shadow someone for a rotation or two. Then you should be on secondary on call for a little while to get used to it and then go on to primary. And uh, that's a good process. And that's, again, something that the developers and ops teams should work together to build a process that people will feel comfortable with. Yeah. And then the last thing I would say on that is whatever process you define needs to have an easy and obvious escalation process. So if I am on call and I cannot figure out what to do, I need to have recourse and it can't just be, Oh yeah, I'll call the secondary. It needs to be like, I need to be able to call someone who really knows what's going on uh, as a fallback in case I just get stuck. So, um, I think that's a really good, good process to have. Sure. That makes sense. And then to test that everything's working, send your ops team on a two-week all-paid, all-expenses-paid vacation. <laughs> They've earned it. <laughs> and watch the world burn. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've been in places that have accidentally done this, and it's been interesting to see other people step up and develop their skills. Yeah. And I'm sure it could backfire horribly. The places I've been at that have done similar things uh ended up maybe problems took a little bit longer to solve but people learned a lot and and the world didn't end don't uh isn't it true that the financial industry has people with like mandatory seven day vacations that must span one weekend or something i have no <laughs> so, idea so that if there's any like weird freaky manual stuff going on that it comes out i've heard I of that know. i've heard that it's like mostly for detecting fraud Huh. you know like if oh, they, if, so if they, they can't be in the office on sunday like yeah. shuffling bills into their drawer <laughs> yeah or like skimming money off of accounts or something and i don't know huh but in this case you know send your ops team on vacation and let the dev team step up delete their slack accounts <laughs> yeah <laughs> cool cool this is a great question um i hope we have shed some light on it and i i would love to hear how it goes over with the team and what you decide to end up doing yeah definitely great question all right. Question answered. 
Question answered. What if, if people want to ask their own question, Jameson? What they on can go earth to, they do? And I'm just going to drag uh, out this question <laughs> as long as I can. I would like to speak, please. <laughs> um, they can go to softskills.audio. There is a link on that website where uh, it takes them to a Google form where they can give us as much or as little detail as they want. Um, and that's the main place we take questions from. We used to get a lot more over Twitter and we're getting more over the, the Google form, which is good because it lets people give more, more detail. Mm -hmm. We can still take them over Twitter if you want, though. Uh, our Twitter account is at softskillseng. And that is where we also every once in a while tweet stuff. Yep. Uh, usually it's just show announcements though. So if you're already listening, <laughs> you'll you'll get a reminder. Um, oh, if you uh, if speaking of tweeting, if you have received a soft skills engineering sticker and you have placed it on something, take a picture and tweet it to us, and we will retweet you. As long as the thing it's placed on is appropriate to retweet. Yeah, like no Lenovo laptops, for example. <laughs> what? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I didn't know you were prejudiced against <laughs> Lenovo laptops. Uh, yeah, I, I was just more thinking like I wrapped this piece of dog poop I found on the ground <laughs> in a soft skills engineering sticker. Even we would that be might offended. Be appropriate, we would. Be we would offended. not. No, we're better than that. Human <laughs> poop or bust. <laughs> uh, all right. When I start making poop jokes, that's the sign the episode is over. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks. We'll catch you next week.